This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Let's go in. Obviously, it's a, an interesting conversation. I think it'll lead into a lot of the stuff you've said already. You know, even when talking about the practice spectrum and coaching for them and not for me. Where, where are you going with it? You know, because my I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Because yeah, for me, it's, it's it's yeah. Go on. Yeah, no, I'll get so. You know, obviously, this is a topic that we kind of discussed that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put put a conversation around a few weeks back, but. I think a really good example of this came out for me the other day. Went to watch a coach um, delivering a session. Oh, sorry, Matt, he was on a game day, so apologies. Managing a team on a match day. And it was almost, he'd make a decision um, and had no, no, no kind of really consideration for actually how are my decisions affecting the players. So just to give a bit more context, you know, They've taken a player off with five minutes to go in the first half because a mistake was made. They're paying no paying no mind to the fact that actually that player was out of position for the last twenty five minutes. So they now made a mistake. Rather than recognizing that actually the player's out of position, how do I best support them? As soon as that mistake occurred, coaches taken them straight off the pitch and didn't bring them back on for the rest of the game. So it's now looking at, right, what's the purpose of us as coaches? Why are we there? Really checking and challenging that that thought process and rec- that getting clarity on that purpose piece. So, I mean, that's kind of the direction I'm going in with it in that respect. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or whether you've got a different perspective on the topic. I think it's interesting the point you make as an example because... I think often, like even in games, we, we've got to consider, and it's a fine balance, but we've got to consider this phrase like event versus experience. 
And are we treating these games as one-off events where, like, you know, we want to win? And yes, we do want to win. You know, I think sometimes winning's almost seen like as a bad word. But actually, there's a lot of learning in winning. And um, I'll explain because I often see coaches like hide behind the mask of, you know, they're losing every week. Oh, we're about development. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes that can be like a get out of free jail card. So it is a tough balance. And when you're in those games, how do you manage the lead? How do you create experiences for the players? And the reason why I use the, I'm giving that and I'm building it up and I'm talking about event versus experience is that if we're viewing the game as an event, our coaching is going to be very, very different because, you know, in some cases, like the example you've provided there, it's not good for the player. You know, we, we've got to understand the context, we've got to understand, like, giving them opportunities to try things, make mistakes, learn from it. There's other factors or other variables that will influence many outcomes. And really seeing it, you know, in the eyes of the player, like, what, what do they need for their journey? But a lot of coaches may want to win the game at the detriment of learning. And they might see that as... And the danger with that becomes is that it becomes about me, doesn't it? Where it's my ego and you know, the scoreline and how well I want the team to do. But then that kid might not get any minute or not play at all or not play enough. Um, I've seen coaches manage games and there is a part of it. Managing the game to create a winning moment or, or certain winning experiences is part of it for sure. But equally, there are times where, you know, I'll give an example where it's not about me. I've put Christian McEwen... For this is with Bradford City and with Riesa, so under 21s and things like that. In games where he needed to get better at his heading and dealing with contact and dealing with jumping and body contact and things like that, I had him as centre half. Skillful, loved to dribble, could step into midfield, can play a pass, but he needed to deal with contact. He also needed to understand different types of movements. This is even at PDP level. I'm not talking like an example under 10s, which you can do. I'm talking even PDP, where he's, you know, he's in his 20s. And I'm trying to get this kid to understand, like, look at some of the movements that you don't like that are done against you, right? That these runs across and movements where they're peeling away or how to deal with contact, how to handle body contact, dealing with headers. We were playing against certain teams where they were quite direct with purpose, and it was a through an era where every team is always playing a variation of a, a, a one four three three, But then we were coming up against teams where it was almost like the reverse of history. And they're playing with two centre-forwards and dealing, dealing with those type of movements. And against direct people who've got physicality and the ball spending quite a bit of time in the air, how do you deal with it? As well as around you and in front of you, how do you deal with it? He needed to get better. That was part of his individual development plan, his IDP. And long story short, he did get better. It cost us a lot of games. There was games where he was dribbling out from the back, got caught, ended up in the back of the net, even at that level. Times where he didn't quite time his run, didn't know how to head the ball, never mind defensive headers. I know they're different from attacking, but dealing with different types of movements, struggled with it. And, you know, going back to, like, it's not about me, um, and even linking it with the example you've given, sometimes I would do it where I was getting pressure from above, but it was at the sacrifice of, you know, my ego or what I wanted for the team. I wanted to hit, get him better. And I, and in some cases it hurt us, but it actually created great experiences for, for, for the boy. And, 
you know, I think that's what it's about. And it's tough because you will have those, you know, I was fighting politics and the director of football who obviously was looking at things from another lens. And how do you do and what's right, what's wrong? And, you know, the example you've given where they've pulled the kid off after making a mistake. Well, what's that kid going to learn from that? What message is that subconsciously sending to the other players on the roster? It's creating a culture of fear, isn't it, where you're not going to be given the freedom to experiment. I mean, this is why, you know, to summarise, it's so important that when we're coaching, the message has to marry the the values and the intentions of what we're trying to create. So if we're saying in training, we're enthusiastic, we're bubbly, we're all about experimentation, things like that. But then on a game day, our coaching behaviour is totally different. Well, that's a misalignment because why are we different on a game day? It's because of the state of the game, things like that. And I get that. But if during the week we're saying, Yaz, you, you know, experiment, try things, no problem. But then on Sunday, during the match, we're going, Yaz, come off. We're not doing that in those areas. Well, it's confusing for the players, you know, and what are you actually saying? So, you know, if we're saying it's for them, event versus experience, yes, you want to win, but also you've got, I think it's more a case of like, what experiences can we design for the players without obviously committing Harry Carey too much? What experiences can we create that are going to aid the development of that player? You know, even if it's a case of, look, we know we're playing against a team who, are very good at getting the ball. They've got speed in this wide area. My centre-back needs to get better at defending wide areas. Perhaps you let that duel happen because that would be great experience for that kid. And then how you coach him versus what some coaches might do. They'll go, sob that. Let's put Mark over here and let's change this up and we'll nullify that. And perhaps that's part of it as well, but it's recognising it comes back to what do you want to achieve? And I think that's a huge question for coaches is, where is that line, right? I, I think you're spotting it. Like something really key that you kind of just touched on there. It reminds me of back of the conversation that we had last week around coaches and their egos. I think a lot of this is, you know, I see it all the time in grassroots football in particular. And I see even at academy level, to be honest, it's where you see a player who's doing positive or negative things in, in, in the perception of the coach. And the coach will highlight what it is and say, oh, um, you know, don't do that or don't do this or, you know, well done on this. But actually, that's not helping the player. Help them understand why. You're telling them what you want, what you don't want, but you're not explaining them or supporting them in terms of how to get there. And I think that's the really key piece. How are you actually helping that player? What information, what guidance, what instruction are you you giving them in that moment that's actually going to make them reflect and potentially make a stronger or better decision next time round, if that makes sense? 100%. 100%. And again, it's the messages, isn't it? It's the messages that we're promoting during a game day. Um, what are we? What behaviours do we want to reinforce? And you know, there's a phrase I use a lot, which is like, the, the quality of your questions represents the quality of your values. Yes, no? So what questions are we asking the players or what behaviours are we reinforcing? Because that's going to represent the quality of what we value most. And it's giving the kids these opportunities, isn't it, to try things um, and and know that there's a safety net there to catch them when they make mistakes. But you've got to help them as well. You know, I was, I'm coaching a game yesterday 
team I've never worked with, I've not worked with them all week, I'm covering, I'm, I'm leading. And also I had a game where I'd been working with the, the boys all week. And there was times where players were trying things that are outside of their comfort zone and they genuinely don't know. And it, and it probably didn't help matters that I've changed things as well during the game. So I've introduced new things of not necessarily familiar with, but it's asking questions because I want them to get become more resilient, more adaptable. I want them to be uh, expressive. I'm looking for players to not be slotted into positions and, and running straight lines and be pigeonholed. I want it to be like, you, you know, attacking an animation. You know, I'm talking about this was a nine-a-side game. You you were uh, 11 boys. But I want them to move and, and create opportunities. I've got centre-halves doing runs, overlaps, stepping into midfield. I've got... Um, we've not worked on that, but I just gave him a couple of challenges and the shape wasn't all over the place. We actually had really good shape, really good balance, but you're just giving him good challenges. There was times where it nearly led to a few goals <laughs> because we're, you know, we've got a goalkeeper who's got a high start position. He's not exactly big either. So sometimes the opposition were trying to lob him. You're getting caught out a couple of times. We've got lucky at the post and things like that. But then he's creating... You know, my value is is I want them to understand how you can dominate and exploit territory. But then on the flip side, it's encouraging the kids recognizing those dangers, isn't it, and how to play. And it comes back to everything we said before. Like, what do we what do we want our players to be? Do we want them to be autonomous self learners, or do we want them to be quite prescriptive in a very clearly defined model that's shaped by the coach? But then the problem then becomes is that they'll never be able to make decisions for themselves. So, you know, what do you want as a coach? What do you value most? And, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't be about me. It should be about what's right for the kids based on their needs and their development and their growth. Joe, are you there, mate? I am, yeah. I don't know if you missed it or if you could hear what I said or not. No, I missed, I missed, I missed the end of it. Or, um, we were talking about... I can't remember what you said now. I was trying to sort the connection out. I don't know what was my end or yours. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. But, um, I mean, look, in summary, just saying things like, I think we've got to make sure that we're, we're really reflecting on what we value most. You know, I was giving an example of, like, a game I coached yesterday where I'm asking players to try different things and be expressive and, you know, in animation, ex- exploit space, have high start positions, do this, do that. And in some cases, it was getting us exposed. But that's good because they're learning different moments of, what, you know, how and when to attack. And I'm not creating a technical model that's shaped by me where it's quite confined. And coaches have to, sorry, players have to respond to this checklist of how to play because that's not going to develop creative, self-learning, autonomous players. You know, so I was more that again. I use that phrase before, like the quality of questions represents the quality of your values, and I think it's interesting because, you know, what do you value most as a coach? And if we're saying that we want these players who can make decisions and think creatively and be adaptable, well, we need to create environments and structures where they've got that flexibility to do so. Or are we are we being really prescriptive and quite confined in what we're looking for? And I'm not saying go from one extreme to the next where it's like coaching where it's, you know, it's purely about me and I'm I'm very strict in what I want them to do and how I want them to play and they do this and they do that. Because then I'm, effectively I'm controlling the game. I might as well play the game for them because I am doing it anyway. 
I'm coaching them on the ball and I'm taking away decisions. And I'm not saying go to the other end of the continuum, which would be total freedom, total exploration, because if there's too much, they wouldn't know what to do anyway. They wouldn't know um, there'd be too much information to try and grasp. It'd be quite confusing. They'd be all over the place. So it's that challenge of like, where is that happy medium in, in somewhere in between? And how does the coach skillfully challenge players? But everything we're talking about is about them, isn't it? We're making references to how we can support them better. You know, once in our examples, myself or you, we are we referencing, you know, what can it look like for me so that I look better? And I think that's mm. a big one. Like, if you're talking about ego, a lot of coaches, when they're coaching, it all, it's all about them. How do I look? How does my session look? How does my team look? Well, no, actually, it should be. What does what does it look like for the players? How can we make them look even better? You know, because when the kids do well for me, I'm saying, like, well done. And if they lose, I'm always thinking, like, what could I have done better? Versus, you know, some people might be the other way around, where if they win, it's all, you know, it's all about the coach. And if they lose, it was the players' fault, you know? No, I think you're spot on, and as you're, as you're speaking there, you know it's, it's it's just brought up another example. You know, and I think back to where I'm at a club, and um, I'm part of the coaching staff, shall we say? Um, but I'm not the one who's necessarily leading the team that's playing at, at the time. And I remember having a conversation with the coach at the end of the game, and he, you know, he, he said to me that you think he, he felt that I was stepping on his toes a little bit. I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, what what made you feel that way? And he goes, you know, obviously. So, just to give a bit of context, at half time, one of the one of the players actually didn't immediately come in to the rest of the team and the half time team talk. She actually went away to the other side of the pitch, and the player went over to the parent first. I noticed this from the side, and I then I said to myself, right, okay, let me keep an eye on this because this is quite interesting. Why why is that player not come over? So I walked over to the player, and the player was, you know, quite upset. And whatnot. So I ended up having a conversation one to one with that player for about, you know, basically the whole of the half time. Anyways, later on, coach says to me, I think you were stepping on my toes. I felt like you were stepping on my toes a bit. I said, I get that. However, you're not my priority. The players are. And right. if you're here for them, then with all due respect, you're secondary to me. Because the reason why we're here is to help the players. Now, whether it's me, whether it's you, or whether it's someone else in the coaching team having an input or supporting that player that we can recognise needs that support in that given moment, that's my priority. And had I waited for you to go and have, the, have that conversation, actually, what happens to the other players that are standing over there waiting for you to have an input on them? So I don't think there's necessarily a, if you like, a definitive way to do things. However... I think one thing that we should, you know, hopefully I think we can all agree on is actually we're there to support the players and help the players become better. Now, yes, depending on the level of the game we're working at, that might be at varying, at varying degrees in the fact that obviously if it's that first team, you might, be, you might be more focused around winning games rather than specifically just development. But ultimately, the players are what we're there for. So it's not about whether I'm upset or you're upset about the way I dealt with it. It's did it help the player? if that makes sense. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I 
I agree, and it's hard because obviously we're not in that context, are we? We don't know, and it's always hard, isn't it? Like you don't want to, you don't want to step on people's toes. You don't want to. I guess there's always like finding right moments for anything, isn't there? But then equally, it comes back to the environment as well, like how well people feel comfortable bouncing off each other, whatever. For me, it's not about me. So if I'm working with you and we've, ne- um, I mean, to, well, we've never coached together, have we? So it'd be a great example. I wouldn't feel threatened if you came in and you felt that if there was something of value that you could add to one player or group, I wouldn't feel that my, you know, it's more important that they listen to my voice. It just depends, doesn't it? I mean, there might be times where, depending on how good or bad things might be going, there might be a point where, hey, you just need to listen to the to the head coach or whatever, potentially. You know, and it's just one voice. So it's real. It depends on the context, doesn't it? Everything's contextual. But yeah, for me, it's more the players are priority, you know. I think we've got to find ways to bounce off each other because you might have seen something that I haven't. Or what if that kid can relate to you better than they can me? What if, I mean, how many environments have we been in where players are, they'll gravitate to certain people over others? And that's okay as well, isn't it? Um, And I think it's just making sure that everything we do, we're getting the best out of them. How can we, we've got to understand, like, what makes that kid wobble? What makes them wobble? But equally, what makes them be special, like at the best? Where do they do the best thinking? Where do they do their best magic? You know, I was talking to this one kid yesterday, and I was like, I was like, magic time. I was like, I want you to. Just... <laughs> I was using random phrases, but the kid's smiling, and do you know what? He was fantastic, and he's running out of people, and he, it was magic time, and he was just, he was, he was ending careers. This kid, he's he's so young. He's a 2011, but he was just in and out of people, dribbling, quick passing, bubble bum. He, he was quick, and I love it. And I think that's what it's about. Is like making creating smiles versus even in the. I mean, I was. I'm giving an example of one good game. There's another game I was at where we were losing quite heavy, but the kids are still asking questions and they're still wanting to learn. And hey. Chase, what could you have done different there on that? Yeah, yeah, body shit. Okay, good. And you're having those chats, and it's like, wow, you know, you're losing by heavy scoreline, but players are happy. They're still happy. They're coming off the pitch at half time. They're still wanting to learn. And, you know, what, again, are we creating environments for them or are we creating environments for us so that we look pretty and we look happy? You know, because I'd rather the players be happy. No, I think you're spot on. I think the key thing is, is is just finding that right balance, like you said earlier. I think one of the one of the bits of advice is like advice I give to coaches in that in this situation is there's so many times where at youth level in particular where players are gonna potentially have to play out of position, potentially have to do things that they're not comfortable with, whether that be because of a lack of experience, a lack of clarity in certain things. But your job ultimately is to support support that journey of that player on that on their you know on their individual path whatever that wherever that leads them whether that is moving them from one position into another whether but you know the key thing is it's about patience for me having that time giving them that patience to the point where they recognize and understand you know what i can make mistakes and i'm not going to be berated for it i can make a mistake but actually the coach is going to help me learn from this the coach is going to be able to support me whether i make this mistake or not in fact they're going to praise me for my efforts and potentially keep on encouraging me to try again 
because you know you you mentioned earlier about you know putting putting a player in putting putting the players in the game and you know you kind of yeah you want to win but actually you want to give that player the opportunity for those learning experiences and the reality is they're not going to get those same learning experiences in a more challenging and tougher environment than the real thing so if we can give them the opportunity yes there might be a, a lot of you know, if you like short-term pain in, in the in the results and the outcome of what they're trying to achieve, but over time, with the right support and the right level of reflection, they should hopefully be able to unpack that further to the point where actually that that becomes easier and easier to perform within a game context, if that makes sense. No, brilliant. And actually, there was something you were saying there where it just just it just reminded me of a, a great point, which is like just thinking about each individual child so you know you said there um what was the first thing you said i'm losing my trailer thought now going off on one no it's just recognizing that obviously sometimes at grassroots level or youth in youth at youth level in general players may play in positions that they're not used to playing or they might be uncomfortable for different reasons whether it's a lack of clarity around instruction a lack of clarity or awareness around what the expectations are around in that particular position how they should maybe perform in that position and the coach being able to supply them with the right level of support in providing that clarity if that makes sense yeah and to be honest I don't think I can say it even better that's perfect Is it, again are we creating the game for an event or are we creating a game for experiences so are we putting them in positions where they, they're going to have opportunities to learn new things whether it be out of position whether it be um, against certain levels of competition whether it be against certain levels of player you know, if we're playing against one player and his particular profile, that's going to expose him in different ways, like in a good way. They're all different challenges. It's individual difference, isn't it? So how are we designing these individual differences within a game? And it's almost using the match day as that extension of training, isn't it? So I think that's a great point, to be fair. But we've got to have that conversation with the player, though. No, you can't, let's say, put them always in those environments and have them struggle too much or have them succeed too much because you've got to always explain what we're doing and why, you know. I, I think you're spot on. I think the other thing within that is well, just to kind of touch on something you said there. It's about the individuals and recognising that actually not in every single session will be able to affect every single individual. Sometimes it's about just managing and giving that clear direction to certain individuals while maybe there's you know maybe three or four within the group that you're really trying to get through to on this particular occasion, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. And again, are we? How well do we hold ourselves accountable as coaches to say, do you know, by the end of tonight, you know, Yaz, Tor, Keith, they've got to walk away going, have I got something for me? You know, because I think that's quite powerful if we can hold ourselves accountable. Um, versus like we're trying to achieve everything but we achieve nothing. You know, by the end of the practice have we actually got feedback from the players? Are we have we checked in with any of them to see, you know, what have they got out of it? Because a huge part of coaching for me is is clarity and relevance, among many other things. Is like what is the relevance to me and why? How have I been stretched and challenged? And as you said, you're not gonna be able to stretch and challenge everybody. Like you sh- we should be able to create environments that do develop everybody, but can we have a laser focus on certain things? And again, like, are we holding ourselves accountable to that? No, most definitely. I think one of the key pieces in there is 
you know, even the people that are listening to the conversation now before we start getting everyone else involved, is thinking back about a time where you think, on reflection, actually, it was more about me than them. And, and you know, maybe what your thought process was at the time. Really, really interesting to get some insights on that. But we've got someone that wants to get involved here. Um, Seiko, good evening, man. How are you? Uh, good evening. I'm, I'm, I'm well. I'm well. Um, <clears throat> I was just listening to, to you guys both speak. And, and I was thinking myself, uh, when we were talking about coaches that have egos, I think um, a lot of coaches come from a, a playing background. Um, so sometimes naturally egos come with that kind of football playing background. Um, but one of the things that's personally helped me when I'm coaching uh, to, to, to kind of put down my ego is understanding that my outcomes as a coach and the outcomes for players are different. So I might come to a session uh, wanting everyone to pick up, I don't know, uh, that we want to play, we want to turn out on our back foot to play opposite side all the time, whatever it might be. And um, that might be my outcome. But another child at my session, uh, they just, they, their, their focus might be making sure that they, they score every time they get a half chance. Or some kids just want to come and take their mind off wherever they're coming from. And I think um, in terms of the, the title of coaching for them and not me, I think as a coach, it's our jobs and, and our role to identify the, the needs of every key individual in, in the team or every individual in the team, especially at youth level, um, to understand that we can coach them effectively. Because if we come with our own like understanding, our own ideas and our own themes, um, that's good. But we also need to kind of cater for every single uh, person that's there. Um, so that's what I, I just thought of when you guys were speaking. No, I see, I think you're spot on. And I think one thing that's really key in what you said there, right, is you're going to have your own outcomes, but they're also going to have theirs. And I think that's where some of the challenge comes. So I agree. This, you know, I think as coaches, even or even even the coaches in the shop, we've all got an element of ego to an extent. I don't think there's any one of us that doesn't have that. But I think it's recognising, right, when to put that ego aside and recognising what the priorities are in our environment. So coming back to what you've just said there and even linking it back into what Gerard said earlier about, you know, the quality of your questions. If you're asking the right questions, you'll have you, you'll 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 find it much quicker to get to the right solutions and how to deal with all the different individual needs within the environment, if that makes sense. I think it's a great point that you've made there. The question I've got for you now is how do you, how do you, you know, from your own experience, how have you gone about finding the right balance to, A, identify where your outcome is and making sure you still meet the needs of the players within it, despite their varying levels of need and desires from the session that they put, they're participating in? Uh, so I, I think that, that, um, that observation of, of targeted questions um, to, to ensure that players uh, understand um, um, and, and they learn and they grow from what I'm giving them. Um, but also, I think um, by adding, I don't know, like differentiation to, to sessions, it, it allows me, it allows you to cater as a coach for different types of players uh, and players with, with different mentalities, um, uh, like position-specific stuff or, 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 or things, some elements of competition will suit better players um, some elements of the session that are, are I don't know, more technical or, or results-based uh, drills. I think 
are best for different types of the main thing I think uh, helps a lot of players and a lot of drills I, I tend to put on are solution based so I encourage players to be and the, the company I coach for as well encourages players to be solution based because um, I think that's that's where you, they find a lot of their their um, they do a lot of their key learning um, by being by being solution based. So I I think what you touched on there about the targeted questions, um, I think that's that's probably one of the best things and encouraging them to be solution based um, on the pitch as well. No, most definitely. It's interesting. I was I was I was, I was in a I was in a workshop today, um, and Joe, it'd be good to get your views on this, on the idea of trying to think more like scientists. Now, if we can think more like scientists, then we're focusing on finding new solutions, or rather, we're focusing, we're focusing on identifying more problems in our environment so that we can then come up with solutions. Whereas I think at the moment, we're in, a lot of us are in that state of mind or in that process where we're actually currently, all we're trying to do is focus on solutions without identifying new problems to kind of deal with. And I think that applies to this context in the fact that if we can give the players more clarity on the problems that they're solving and leave them to leave them with the problems, making sure they've got clarity on the problems and the task at hand, then I think that's where we come together to help them find more solutions. We can collaborate with them on that. And every solution might be different based on how they interpret the problem. John? Love it. Love it. And again, it just reinforces the message around clarity. So how well are we explaining the message? How well are we checking for understanding? You know, when we're designing these problems for people to solve, but how well do we understand the problem ourselves? And without getting too scientific, it's all about making sure that everything is relevant to their needs. So if we're designing environments that we talked about before that look like the game or look like their game and we're playing this game within practice whether it be a, a possession practice whether it be a could be a 4v4 plus 4 could be we've, we've counter goals four, four goals and there's certain rules within the practice where for for one team you're managing the difference for them like to create the problem for the other team to try and solve. It could be a million things, but I'm, I'm trying to pick an example in my head. So, you know, I might want our team to get better at how we hunt for the ball, whilst also working on the princi- the counter principle of, you know, creating a problem for our team to solve. So we have to manage the opposition first. So the team, whilst also reinforcing our principles of building up and building the attack. So for the team in possession, it can be, you know, the num- it could be the number of passes you make when you score into a goal equals the number of goals you score. So that way it's rewarding them on how many passes they make to break into a goal. Or it could be for every X number of passes, four, three, depends on the ability level, I don't know, whatever. It's a point. So they're rewarded on possession. Whilst they're keeping possession, so the team with the ball is possession team, How do we go and hunt for the ball and protect the goal and intercept, set traps? But upon winning that ball, because we're working on our defending uh, transition, um, you know, we're trying to win the ball back. When we win it, can we counter in six seconds or less in any of the four goals? So the team that immediately loses possession, that defensive transition from going from attack to defence, how do they prevent that opponent 
once they've lost the ball, try and counter-press, stop them scoring any of the four goals. And the intensity will go through the roof. So you've created little rules or little conditions, challenges, that will manage each problem for each team. But without you realising it, it's going to create so many different experiences, scenarios for the players. Because there'll be times where like, I've given the ball away here. Am I in a position to go and stop it? Because it might be very difficult. I can't always stop. I might have to do as much as I can to to make it difficult for them. Because they're in a great opportunity just to play it forward quickly. Or can I can I delay them to allow... You know, there might be situations where can we play through them? You might put... I progressed it with a little... Um, because I wanted them to protect the centre better. Because otherwise they'll just run around like headless chickens. I put a little grid in the middle where there was a reward... So for every time they can play to a player within this uh, central box, receive and play out, that means they're splitting to the breaking lines. If they're playing through you uh, within this game, we're not protecting the centre of the pitch. So it was worth extra points. So all of a sudden there was players coming up with strategies and I never actually coached it. The kids did it better than I probably could. They were thinking of ways of like, how do I screen that pass or... How do I show a passing lane? How do I invite a pass to go and step in and intercept? So now all you should, but then going back to Yaz's point is like, do you explain this to the players? Are you explaining what we're doing, the clarity, the relevance to them? Hey, if we're in certain areas of the field, like if we're, this is a game now, why might that be a problem? Are we relating it to, you know, we've got a great example with the game today, City v United. And their movement to play forward quickly. If no one's tracking runners, people are running off Ericsson. How's that going to hurt us? You know, if people are playing into danger players like a Haaland or whether, how is that going to hurt us? So in these areas, what do we need to do? Now you're making it relevant to them, but you're inspiring more curiosity. So you've created a problem. You've given them a couple of rules and clear challenges. You've got to check understanding, observe make sure that they understand what the rules of the game are and why it's relevant to them and the problem you're trying to solve. But then go on that journey with the kids. And for me, I think a great one would be have the players come up with strategies to, on how they can make it more challenging. And they'll come up with rules that you will never have even thought of that are better than the coach's rules. And again, it just comes back to that point you were saying, Yaz, which I quite like, which is like, in order to discover these different solutions, like how, how what's the clarity around the problem in the first place and its relevance to us in our development, that's a huge one. And having those conversations, like, why is this a problem here? Why might we need to, ah, but if then if we do this, what's the problem here? Because now we're allowing him to be free. So now you're talking about consequence and that's when you start developing players' game understanding and intelligence and curiosity, right? And I think, I think just on that, Gerard, you know, it's, it's a really great point. I think one of the key things to kind of develop that further is, as coaches, how often are we actually challenging them around awareness of a problem rather than challenging them to come up with a solution? And sometimes we don't always need to then be explicit about them trying to find the problem themselves and identify the challenge that they're facing. Actually, no, sometimes it's as a coach, right, here's your problem. This is what this is what Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors Inc. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is what I, I observe as a coach, as the problem. Go away and find some solutions for me. And then we can have a conversation around collaborating, collaborating whether some, some of the solutions are, are effective, ineffective, whether they're right or maybe not right. So I think that is, for me, one of the key things I, I would say that coaching is not focusing on is how much awareness are we giving the players on the problem rather than just having a situation where we let the players play, we let the players just run through the session hoping they're going to identify the problem. And not just identify the problem, but more specifically, identify the problem with the same perception that we're hoping they will. I love that um, because it, it got me thinking of like this phrase, and you'll remember it. I mean, you did a podcast recently with Rusty talking about like tactical warfare. And often we give a lot away, don't we, within sessions when we're coaching. But actually, how can we create something? And let's see if they can even identify what the problem is. So don't tell the opposition. So it might be that we're playing a game and Yaz, your team has been given a chance to, to try and score in a certain way. But I'm not going to tell the other team what the rules of the game are or terms of like how they're going to attack. Let's see if the players can understand what the scoring mechanism is or how, the reward for scoring certain ways. And did they, you know, he gave me a great example of this where he did something called tactical warfare. And then he spoke to the players. Said, "Did anyone notice like how they were? Oh, they were eventually they were trying to score from getting the ball into this play. He's their danger player. It was worth double points every time they found him. And this led to, oh, okay. Did you tell anyone? No. Why didn't you tell anyone? So he's even asking the kids on the other team, like, if one of you spotted it, why don't you communicate this and reorganize your team? Like, hey, this is this is what they're doing. This is how we need to defend." Um, but in a lot of sessions, we'll—I don't know if you agree or disagree. As you know, we'll 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 announce everything. Everything's announced, and we're going right. Yaz's team, you're doing this. Blah blah blah. blah. You're going this way. Blues, you're going to uh, and you're scoring this way. Challenges, and we're announcing everything to the whole team. But when you think about an actual game, there is no announcement. When you play a game, if we're playing, you know, Liverpool tomorrow. They're not going to say, right, what we're doing today, lads, we've been working on this all week and now we're going to try and get the ball into Vinny. He's playing as our number seven. He's going to look to... They're not going to tell you their strategy to it, <laughs> are they? So, like, in the game, you've got to figure stuff out live. How can we create more live moments for them versus pre-scripted or pre-planned, pre-rehearsed moments? Create more live moments so it's unannounced. I think also within that though, I think you make a great point there, Joe. But I think just to build on that, even when we go down to if right small sided games or even games within training or or when there's different teams within training, I think coaches spend too much time trying to balance the teams out as well. And it's like, well, you can't do that on a match day. So how about you just set set just pick any two teams and just let them deal with it. Actually, work as a coach, to help them develop on how to deal with that problem. <clears throat> Obviously, if the challenge is too great, make an adjustment to that. But just let them play. 
don't change the teams to make them quote unquote fairer. Don't change the teams to make the make the challenge potentially easier or more difficult. Just leave it as it is and you know, challenge yourself as a coach to support those players in working through the problem that's in front of them. Because that's the skill set they're gonna have to develop on a match day because essentially even on a match day there's only so much influence and support you can actually give them, which is gonna have a direct impact in those moments. Oh, brilliant. I completely agree. It's not well, it's not matched up, is it? They'll have some quality. They might have one danger player that is the whole difference. How do you deal with that? Um, yeah, brilliant. Johnny, talk to us, man. Hey, fellas. Um, yeah, as you, asked, you asked for an example, and this came to mind, and it, and it happened to me. So I thought I'd throw it out to you and see how you guys would would deal with it. So I took training for the week, just the normal week's training. Nothing changed in terms of aims or focus as it was. And we turned up on the match day, the other coach I was with. Right at the end of the team talk, decided that the key was to win. We have to win today. And it flipped from coaching for them for coaching for the coach. During the warm-up, the, the coach changed it. He was saying things like, stop laughing, stop giggling, you need to be serious, we need to be focused. And during the first 30 minutes, 3.30s we played, he just roared, putting on mistakes, everything that, that kept going on. So what I want to throw to you is, what would you do when the whistle went for the first team talk and the coach went, I'm raging, I'm not talking to them, you do it? I think it's a great question. I think first and foremost, right, I had a very similar situation to this recently. And, and the first thing I say is to the coach, you're assuming that these players are not focused. But actually, this might be part of their routine in getting prepared. They might need that moment of relaxation, that moment of um, you know, laughing and giggles or however you want to refer to it. They might need that little bit of a social element that gets them into the zone of being focused, right? And that bit's so key. So I think the coach has to be very, very careful in any context when assuming that the players are doing something and it's not necessarily congruent with what they want to see or what they feel that the players should be doing because the players will have their own ways of dealing with things, approaching things, but have a completely different impact on them as individuals than it made to us as a coach. Um I had a coach that I went to observe recently. The session, uh, sorry, the, 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 the tempo of his warm-up was incredibly slow. But he brought them in for, a, uh, for the team talk. At the start of the game, I was like, right, I want a lot of intensity. I want a lot of uh, you know, hard work and all, you know, all, the, all the usual stuff that comes with that. I was like, hold on a second. You didn't demand any of that or even set an expectation of any of that through your warm-up. Now, I don't know whether if the coach did do that in the warm-up, it would have made a difference. But ultimately, the players came out into the first half and they started slow. They were too relaxed. They were Because there was no intensity in the, in the warm-up. There was no pressure on them in the warm-up. There was no guidance for them around what to expect and what, and what not to expect. And this is where I think a lot of coaches get caught in the danger zone a little bit. 
when players start to get older, more specifically, I'm looking at maybe like 14, 15, 16, 17, in that kind of 14 to 19 age range, I see so many coaches assume that just because a player is at a certain age, they understand the expectations that the coach has of them. But not once do they ever then turn around and say, right, have they actually got clarity on those expectations that I think they, that I think I want to see from them? But more specifically, the worst question always gets asked, and this is the, honestly the worst question any coach can ask, in my opinion, is, do you understand? Well, I'm not sure about you guys, but for me, a player, I've never met a player, rather, that wants to say, coach, I don't understand unless they know that it's a safe environment to be able to do that and not be berated and not be scolded by the fact that actually I don't understand. And this is, this, this is, this is where I guess this, this topic really comes back to it. Are you coaching for them or are you coaching for you? Now, if you're coaching for them, you will make sure that they've got clarity in everything that you're saying. Because ultimately, the best way I can think about approaching is if they do have clarity, it's because of you. If they don't have clarity, it's because of you. Everything that they do, even if you think it's unfair to think so, it's because of you. So if they're getting success because they're getting clarity, ultimately that's, that, that comes back to you getting what you want to get out of it, unless your only objective is the result. So I say that to say, coaches, anyone listening to this, everyone in this room right now, how often are you actually getting clarity on what the players understand, what the players perceive their expected outcomes to be, and whether they're actually congruent with what you want to see from them. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, Gerard. And I'm not sure even if that answered your question, Johnny, but we'll come to that. I I think you've... uh... (laughs) Do you know what? I don't think I can actually answer it any better, because... There's so many key takeaways there. One is don't assume that they're not focused because they might be. That's a huge one. Um, and then obviously the other message is around understanding them and what's relevant for them and their needs versus us. Completely agree. And I think we've got to be stronger to think about how can we create environments for them uh, versus stuff that makes us look good. And, you know, I mean, Johnny, I mean, I, I was trying to think about it myself. It's hard to answer only because I'm not in that moment. I don't know the context. I don't know individual or whatever. All I was thinking was um, because of my nature, I'd probably be more inclined to, to raise people up. So I'd be talking, you know, he's pissed off. I'd be like, well, how do you know? Like that? It's a game at the end of the day. Like, there's not millions of dollars on the line here. Um, this is it's it's a game, and how can we make sure that we're creating these sort of med- memorable moments? I'm not trying to be fluffy, but because they'll walk away from things where certain stuff that we'll do could we could be their last coach, and I don't want to be anybody's last coach. I don't want anyone to you know in ten years time to go. Fuck working with Gerard Jones, you know, because he put me off soccer or football, whatever. And that's the danger there. For, oh, I'm pissed off. I'm not whatever. And and how do we know the half was that even that bad? 
it could have been actually a really good first half. They might have some fantastic quality. We've managed to contain them for so long, but they've had a bit of individual difference and brilliance. You know, they've smashed a few in and not a lot we could have done with it. But we've got to pick them up to go into the second half. So we don't want to be like slamming people down um, because, again, does that get the best out of us? You know, if this was a workplace environment and Yaz is berating me at my desk just because I got an email wrong, like, is that going to get the, is that going to help me write the better email? I don't know. Or, you know, is it going to change the fact that the email was sent incorrectly? It's not. But I have to come, <laughs> we have to come up with a strategy of how we're going to fix the next communication. And it's the same with what's our strategy going to be to fix the next second half, that next moment. Because it might be that, like I use this phrase a lot, how can we win the second half? And often you find that the result in the second half, like even if we lost the game overall, kids are leaving the game going, oh, that was awesome. Like Played so well second half. If only we had to play that well first half. And we won the second half. We achieved our mission. We've done this. We've done that. Played a little bit better, whatever. That's good, like getting them out to be competitive. But come back to your point, Yaz, I think, again, it's understanding like them, how... how when you were talking about that and you were saying, like, I love that first thing of don't assume that they're not prepared or they're not focused or whatever, because that might be their way of doing it. Immediately, I was just thinking, God, how important is observation as a coach? I don't know what your thoughts are, but it just makes me think, God, observation and just like knowing when to speak, when not to speak, not being quick to judge. Those are real big key skills of a coach, aren't they? A hundred percent, Joe. And I think the key thing is here, right? It's how much time do we take as coaches to actually recognise these things? And you, right. that word there, observation, is is is, is bloody immense because too many coaches, in my opinion, spend time obs- well, spend time watching, but they're not observing. Yeah, seeing, but they're, they're, they're looking, but they're not seeing yet. Exactly. They're, they're not actually paying attention, and they're not they're not even recognising that. Okay, like, like for me. I was thinking about it today. I was having a conversation with someone and I was so engaged in what the guy was saying that I wasn't even looking at him. My I was just my mind was just flowing around all the things that he was saying because I was trying to visualise what he was saying. Now, I think he recognises that that's my way of processing conversation and I don't necessarily have to be looking him in the eye and that's fine. So you've got that understanding. But some other people, they might be going, oh, what, you know, where's 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 Jess looking? You know, what's he looking at? What's he paying attention to? I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm just, I'm literally trying to visualize everything that this person is saying, and I think having that clarity and awareness for him to understand that this is not me being rude, this is not me being any particular way other than actually, you know, I'm processing everything you're saying. Now, to someone else, they'll look at it and think this guy's not paying attention to me. He's not looking at me. He's so. For me, I'm never asking players, oh, are you paying attention? Because I'm always going back to the point of checking for clarity and understanding at the end of it. Anytime I've got something to say, right, who can explain back to me what I'm looking for? Right, who's confident enough to be able to say to me how we're going to get there? Or, you know, these types of questions rather than do you understand? Right, is anyone here not sure about anything I've just said? Giving them an opportunity to say, actually... I'm not sure, rather than giving that opportunity to say, yes, I understand, only because that's what they want to do and recognise that's going to be the quickest way of getting back to that ball rolling, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. And again, check for understanding. It's such a big, big, big rock, big message of how well do we know what they understand? But how you know? I mean, information given isn't necessarily you know received and understood. So as you said, like us saying, "Hey, is that make sense? Make sense?" Or do you understand? They're just going to say yes, coach. They're going to nod, aren't they? But <laughs> it's a great point. It's a great point. Evening, Keith. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, some wonderful debate and questions being thrown out here again. Just, uh, just on a point that's been brought up here. I think the the points of of understanding whether we coach football or soccer, where whether we're actually coaching players to play the game of football or soccer, and then something that. You just shared, actually, in regards to working with players, because all the information is directly in front of us. All we do is just facilitate. Being acutely aware of what's taking place is, and it's an art and it's a skill in itself, of course. But a case in point, you know, I just, uh, we were coaching, I was coaching yesterday morning, and players, uh, yeah, they're paying attention to you. Uh, because it's the information directly aimed at them. And I just spotted a player and he's just knocking, he's just playing playing with a ball. Uh, and I'm thinking or assumed as he wasn't listening. In actual fact, uh, that was far from the fact he was listening because I'd, he'd just check in and, you know, the, are you listening? Yes. No, he didn't ask that. I didn't ask that question. What's your understanding of what I've just shared? And he came back with pretty much everything that I'd actually uh, said. Now, whether he understood it or not is another thing, because all they do is just mimic them. They just mimic and parrot. Now the application of it comes through them observing whether they're actually going to apply it. But there's some wonderful points coming out, you know, getting to know the players. How do we get to do that? And, and, and And I hear it a lot. But do we actually thoroughly understand that? Because mostly we don't understand the self, but yet we're trying to meet the needs of players. Where lots of the learning that takes place, is it taking place through osmosis? Or is it taking place because we're facilitating and putting practices on that are actually meeting the need of the group or meeting the need of the actual uh, uh, standard of the group and the age of the group is is again something that I think we play with, but definitely something that we need to experiment and 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 check in through or via this feedback. And the feedbacks are constant, isn't not? You know, where we're but the quality of the questions that we pose uh, is 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 pretty much based upon the pictures that we've got in front of us. And of course, we've got to they've got to be layered uh, to the level of the of the quality that's also in front of us as well. I, I think it's a great point there, Keith. And I think you know, coming back to the individual that you're talking about there, when he was able to explain back to you and just to build on that, yeah, he was able to relate back to you. And you're right, you know, we don't necessarily at that point recognize whether. He truly understands or whether he was just great at actually relaying back to you the information that he. he perceived to be correct so I mean something that I've often done with players in that um, is right can you explain to me what that might look like if it's around a particular aspect of things 
And then even further, more than that, you know, the other part of it is identifying the needs is, is a really important piece here. And, you know, as much as we can observe, really, we're almost at times still assuming the needs based on our observations. And I think sometimes it's just important just to have that conversation with the player and say, right, this is what I've observed. What are your thoughts around that? And making sure that, A, is this something that they're aware of? Do they identify it as a need? If they do, great. If they don't, why or why not? And that could be the same for if they do. But beyond that, it's, right, if we're in agreement that this is a, a need for you as an individual, what can I do as a coach that you think might help me help you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It, it is. A, how would you work with a player that ch- is challenged by uh, by being able to articulate, so they can actually show you, but can't actually explain it? A hundred percent spot on. And the thing is, obviously, once they go down the path of showing you, I mean, I always say this: at the end of the day, they're players. They're there to play and not to present. So if they're able. To play and show you directly and show you like you know even if it's a, 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 a kind of a partial demonstration of what it is that you want from them that's good enough for me and the next piece obviously beyond that is right okay now based on what you've just demonstrated are you able to maybe help me understand some of the things that might stop you from doing that so it's help them understand right actually have they really identified the problem and an effective solution and then maybe the pros and cons of that as well Just, just a, just another one, quick one, Johnny. Um, I'm conscious because I don't know if I actually answered your question. Ah, it's all good. Nobody answers questions I ask. They always just ignore <laughs> me and see what's better. Fair enough, Gerard. Anything to add on this? No, I just love listening to everyone who's contributed. Really, there's a lot, a lot of good messages. I mean, especially from grief, where. Keith is saying about again just the, the the understanding of like what's received, the information that's in front of us. You know, it comes back to when we did our practice spectrum webinar the other week. All the information in is in the environment; it's all there. And how do we become really skillful at sort of priming to attune, if you like, priming players to attune and, and lock on to the bits that we want them to try and identify. How do we become really skillful at that? Um, whether it's, you know, Keith, you, I'll, I'll share one. It'd be great to get your thoughts on it. Of um, I always remember doing the AYA with Alex Inglethorpe at Liverpool. And um, he was the one that presented, like uh, he was delivering a guest session on the AYA. And he basically said he had this phrase where he always thinks, you know, before he says anything, is what I'm about to say going to help or hinder? And that stuck with me since 2014. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are or anyone else, but that I was always thinking like, wow, how can I make sure that whatever I'm about to say, whether it be a, the type of question I'm going to pose, the the challenge, a statement, direct instruction, whatever it may be, is what I'm about to say or show going to help or hinder? And I always like wrestle with that even now because I always think like all the information is there. How can we become really skillful at creating these environments, designing learning environments where players become that 
skillfully attune themselves to the information. It's, um, it, I mean, it, an academic jargon, you talk about like affordances, but it's things that are afforded to them, whether it be the space to run into, whether it be, you know, um, the, the, anything. It could be anything. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, but when you said about the information is all there and what we're doing and how we can become skillful, it just made me think of that. Intervene or interfere. I think the lots of that, in, in, and purely it is simply an opinion, is it? Isn't it? Where what uh, having that question, that uh, that internal question, but the context, the environment, the weather, the players, the session, you know, they'll they'll all contribute towards that interfere, intervene. And then ultimately, because sometimes silence is, is, probably, is probably the greatest key because I think we actually talk too much. And some of the stuff that comes out is absolutely jargon in the first place because it's not, it's not specific enough. It's short and sharp and then get out and then let them play. Uh, you know, you get, a, you get a lot of this what's called drive-by coaching now and when players are actually playing then we build we either bring them out or, or bring them off or we actually go and have a chat with them on the pitch it's whether they're actually interviewed I, I know as a player myself I would not really be too interested in what's taking place uh, or what's being shared with me because all I want to do I'm still concentrating in the moment of the game itself so knowing Alex pretty well uh, I mean, he's exceptionally talented at working across all levels, but the actual, uh, the actual, our voice and our state of mind can also get in the way of how we coach and what we say. I love that. I've got to jump on that real quick because I'm curious some of the environments you're doing, obviously, with your work at Liverpool. I mean, intervene or interfere, what a great phrase. What... Talk me through an example, you know, that you would do because often we do have that danger, don't we? Because I always remember, I like, I'll give one where I always remember Dan said at Rochdale, and it's funny you say that. He used to hate the drive-by, hated it. He never used to like being, never mind stopped in the session, but drive-by coaching of going into him and giving him, because he just felt there's too much going on in the game. He just wants to play the game. And it'd be too messy for him, it'd distract him. But he used to come up to me, he would love like terminal feedback. Anything after, during water breaks or after the event, fine. During the actual play, no. But then he would remember stuff and he would come up to you during the water breaks and he'd bring the iPad or he'd been the tactics board or whatever. And you'd be talking about stuff with him and he'd be, t- you know, and. I always remember that. I'm just curious, like, if there's any other strategies you use, you know, so that you're not interfering. Because for some people, it might be okay. They might like that little quick whisper or whatever. But I always remember Dan, he hated it. He just wanted to play, you know. Um, Didn't like freezes, didn't like any of that. And he would even be quite strong enough to tell the coaches to go away, (laughs) which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, they interfere, intervene. You know, this, the, the, I'm certainly not at the age now where I could run around with them. But what what I have yeah. done is, you know, that interfere, intervene is is what is how you frame it up in advance. I've worked with quite a lot of players now over my years, and knowing specific players, it's 
that walk to the pitch or that walk to the uh, to the training facility. You know, you're teeing things up, you're framing things up. Listen, tonight I've got X. And during the practice, during this particular part of the practice, I'm going to do this. I'm just letting you know in advance. So they're giving them time to consider what's coming coming next, but get an agreement from them. So not everybody would want to be interfered with during the game. So that's one way in doing it that I've done it. And it's not the only way, of course. And then also what I've done is if I'm, I'll actually get on the pitch, and I've been on the pitch, which is not new, but actually be running. So you follow me, come with me. This is where I would be. So at, I'm actually running, you know, to get in position and to show where you'd want the player to be, particularly when you're out of possession. So it, it's more based around the back four or this, or even when the ball's on the opposite side of the pitch. So the player that you're actually working with specifically can see the type of movements and to get there with, it, with an energy. Now, whether the register and everything that we're saying is debatable, but it's more uh, a, a kinesthetic, getting a feel of, come on, let's go, and uh, they're either listening to you as you're communicating to the centre-back, but you're working with another centre-back. So it, it becomes, rather than waiting in the moment, you're coaching in the moment, you're feeding information in the moment. And as I say, I'm not sure whether they all register what's taking, what, what their information is. I guess that then comes back to when you come off the pitch, you're actually you're observing and you're paying attention to the information that you've shared and then observing to see whether the information has been registered via, uh, via observation and via an action from the player. And whether that's consistently throughout every game is another thing. But you, anything that drips, feeds info that can help them is of a benefit for the player. But we never know what's going on in their head at any one moment in time. But that, those are a couple of examples that I've that I've used. Love it. We, we I would do a and when you were saying that it reminded me of a now and next board, which I would do a lot. Certainly with players with um, I mean I actually learned it from dealing with kids with like varying degrees of autism and things like that. Um, like I've had some players where they're, they're they're on the spectrum of like well I, I, they've changed the words now but like Asperger's and things like that. But bright kid, and I used to give him now and next boards. But actually, when you were talking right there, and now and next, like here's what we're doing now, here's what's going to come next, can actually be really useful in terms of how you frame the session up. So I love it. No, I think you're spawning it there. You know, there's loads of context, and I think the piece that I really like there, Keith, is about the the kinesthetic part. And one of the things that I actually like to do with that is when. I'm trying to get a message across to players. I try and connect all the different aspects of it, verbal, visual, kinesthetic. So at times, I'm actually physically moving. So I, I, I'm a big fan of using micro practices. And you know, for anyone that's not uh, too too sure what I mean by that, it's actually setting up a small area which replicates the full picture. And in that small space, I do it on a larger space as well, but in that small space when I'm doing it, is I actually move the players around physically I actually put my hands on their shoulders or whatever and actually move them left to right and actually talk them through the timing of things now yes that's not the exact same as the real picture but it's a very quick and clear way that worked that's worked really well for me around just painting the picture for them and giving them some some insight around the cues they either need to maybe be congruent with 
I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Gerard or or Keith, um, and whether that's something that you'd ever use. Oh, I think we just lost it. Everything's just dropped off. But yeah, I think it's well. One thing I would always say is that everyone I know years ago, and there's been loads of defuncts around like learning styles, preferred learning styles, all this type of stuff. My my two cents is that um, you know everything's contextual, isn't it? And in certain things, getting a look and a feel for it is really good, and doing these little micro mini model environments. Um, you know, the problem is they keep getting called something new every time. The other day in the US, they were calling them 3D lectures. I was like, well, here we go. But again, I think, yeah, anything you can do just is making sure that we're, we're hitting them as many different ways as we can. So how, how best do they prefer in that moment that they want to learn that information or identify and obtain information? Because you're always fighting the forgetting curve. So anytime we introduce something, you're always fighting that forgetting curve. So how can you get things to land and stick, make learning stick, get it from short-term to long-term memory and things like that? And again, there'll be certain times where, like me, I don't want to do the dance. And even though I love a good question, sometimes you just don't want to, do you? Like you don't want to go for that dance of question and answer or whatever. You just want to be told or sometimes you want to be shown you know, and it might be the visual, it might be, or it might be, you want to be, be able to experiment. I think too often we'll, we'll put something to, you You know, there's this phrase there that was used from you and, and Keith where you're talking about like kinesthetic and stuff. Sometimes I think in the sessions, like we'll introduce something and then we'll stop them. And actually how much time have the kids had uh, to experiment with the, with the, with the problem or the, the challenge or whatever that we've posed before we've started to intervene and it goes back loops back right to the start of the conversation which is when you talked about that coach who pulled the kid off for making a mistake how much time has he had to wrestle with that and can he have more time to come up with solutions so i think experimentation in a practice and exploration these are really cool words because again we, we can't assume that they'll get it right first time. And even if they do, it doesn't mean learning's stuck. doesn't mean learning's taking place. So there are things that we need uh, to think about. Most definitely, man. I totally agree with that. I think the key, the key bit is there is recognising when to use different types of approaches. What might be relevant in one moment might not be, might not be the best and most accurate approach to use in the next moment. But I think, that again, that comes back to the observation piece recognizing what's worked well with the players that you currently work with and but not just recognizing what works well with the players you currently work with but what's worked really well in terms of landing certain messages that you're trying to repeat land now if that makes sense you know if there's something that you've taught or you've coached a player before and that's now become relevant for another player now what worked really well for you then in terms of landing that message but also not relying on that to work well again. So I think it's just recognizing what your experiences are, where you can where you can bring those back in. But also be, you know, again, I'll come back to this workshop I was in today around just just developing your mindset as a coach. And ultimately, it was when we go and watch a coach, when we go and do something, and we've seen that we've got some success from it, or we've seen that someone else has got some success from it. 
don't just say, oh, I'm going to take that. I understand what they've done there and, and how it works. Actually, ch- challenge yourself again. Take it to the next level and say to yourself, right, okay, I've just seen Gerard do something really good there. How would I do it? If I wanted to get if I wanted to get that outcome, what's another way that I could do it? Now, all of a sudden, you've got Gerard's way and also you've got another solution that you've come up with yourself, which might be relevant for two different types of players. So I think it's a really good way to look at it as well. Um, I am conscious of time, though. So just really quickly, just wanted to just you know just uh, thank everyone for being with us tonight, and obviously just to make a couple of announcements. Actually, um, Gerard and I obviously recently ran our first webinar um, on the practice spectrum, um, and we've recently announced that we'll be launching a second webinar on October twenty third around developing and designing effective feedback processes with your with your players. So if you're interested in that, please do drop us a message, get in touch, and we'll let you know how to register on that one. Um, Gerard, I don't know if you want to have uh, if you've got anything you want to add before we sign off. No, brilliant. Obviously, the conversation has gone long, but it's good. I think if anything, it's it's just showed that we started off with coaching for them and not for me, and then we ended up del- delving into actual examples, and all the examples we're sharing is how the coach is positioning himself to think more about the kid, the more about the individual. So, so the message becomes in summary is like. We're coaching more for them than us. What are their needs? And I think that's a great point. There's a lot, a lot of big rocks being shared. Thank you to everyone who's listening. And look forward to, you know, doing more of these conversations with you and through the platforms and, and what have you. Most definitely, most definitely. Good. Guys, just another reminder. We have got a webinar coming up on October 23rd. Myself and Joe will be taking you guys through, um, again, loads of different content around effective feedback strategies and processes for players and even coaches to be honest um so guys definitely get in touch with us let us know your thoughts on that and for anyone that's in london october 12th i'll be hosting a black history month special um with a few special guests so if you want to find out more about that feel free to check out my page or drop me a dm directly um again a massive thank you gerard for being involved obviously johnny your question seco obviously you're not here anymore but um, we're thinking about you thank you <laughs> and Keith um, massive thank you to you as well for being involved in tonight's conversation sharing some insights Gerard just want to let them know where they can find you and where they can get in touch yeah so obviously you've got Twitter handle on here you've also got my uh, coach education platform which is Learnly, where you can access online courses and mentoring services so that's on there as well so feel free uh, check us out look forward to seeing you guys soon Amazing. Guys, make sure you follow us, get stay in touch, let us know your thoughts. And until next week, guys, um take care, have a great evening. Well there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network Podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.